If you want to make an audiobook, go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Check out these amazing writers, narrators, indie publishers. Come to Asheville. We record books in a booth. Here's the show. All right. Welcome back to Wordplay Radio. And we are fortunate enough to have some folks here um, from Talking Book. And we're excited to have them back. Talking Book is an audiobook recording studio and production house located here in Asheville, North Carolina. It is their continued hope to record awesome books by innovative authors and publishers. Talking Book records, edits, and masters audiobooks with professional voice actors, as well as the authors who want to narrate their own work, right here in the heart of Asheville. Since 2016, they have worked with indie authors and publishers, both big and small, including Penguin Random House, UNC Chapel Hill, New Directions, Danzig, Coffeehouse Press, and many others. Uh, today, we both have both of uh, the Talking Book folks here, Chris Hartram. And Dave Burr, Chris is a writer and the founder and editor of Talking Book. His stories have also appeared in places like Nervous Breakdown, New York Tyrant, Hobart, Hobart Pulp, Entropy Mag, ESPN, and elsewhere. He lives here in Asheville with his family. And Dave Burr, also in the studio. Um, he is our studio director and lead audio engineer, rarely seen without his pumpkin head, <laughs> the cat. Dave also makes insanely good music under the moniker Ruby Weapon, and we can talk about that later. Chris and Dave, such a pleasure to have you all back here on Wordplay. Thank you so much for having us, Lucky. Yeah, yeah, it's thanks awesome for having to be us here. On. Yeah. I, I bumped into you all at Story Parlor, and, um, and we had um, – tell us what you were doing there. Why were you – it was part of the – on the radio, I believe it was called. Yeah, we had uh, – Dave and I went there just to talk about uh, Talking Book briefly on stage, and we also had um, – an author representing us that we've had on the podcast a couple of times, Claire Hopple, who I know was on Wordplay not yes. long ago, yes. reading from her work. So we just we were just asked to come, and you know because we're a, and one of the literary quote unquote organizations in town, yeah. uh, you know, just to represent, pop in, and meet people and tell people what we do. Yeah, and yeah. I really enjoyed Claire's work to the point where we had her on Wordplay, and we'll be hosting her at another event that we'll talk about later. Oh, cool! Yeah, and I think we brought a clip of yeah. her reading. That's great. On I saw that. Today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Her stuff is so quirky and interesting. It's yeah, she's awesome. It's yeah. Really fun. So, you know, it's been a while since you've been on, and I'm sure you get asked this question all the time. How, how do you go about choosing authors to, to do this? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the answer, uh, I'll try to boil it down. It's kind of complicated. But uh, simply put, um, in the old days when we first started, um, you know, we, I specifically realized that a lot of the books that I like to read, a lot of indie titles, smaller titles from small presses and university presses weren't often made into audio. Um, just because, you know, the big houses make the big books into audio books. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's changing now. Um, and we'd like to think that uh, maybe we had something to do with that humbly, like a little bit. But back in the day, <laughs> like mid-2000s, it was harder to find indie titles um, in audio. So we just started to... I was a writer and, uh, you know, a struggling writer. And uh, Dave was a musician <laughs> and knew about audio. So... Um, Somewhat, yeah. Musician, yeah. I like <laughs> I like recorded stuff at my house. Basically, <laughs> on the acoustic guitar. Basically, You're still a musician. Basically, yeah. fake it till you make it yeah. was like our motto back then. Still is, it you know? still it is, still is. Yeah. But um, 
But yeah, and another friend of ours, Ben, uh, basically what we did was we just reached out to authors that we loved that I was reading at the time, like Bud Smith was one of our first authors, Michael Bible, um, and just said, hey, you don't have an audio book. We would love to record your audio book because these kind of books aren't in audio. Yeah. Uh, and so we started doing that and it started to pick up steam. And then eventually, uh, I think I... I went to New York and a few other places and like met with people at New Directions and other publishers and just convinced them, your book should be an audio um, because audio books are about to explode and yeah. these old, you know, these old books of poetry or whatever, William Carlos Williams, stuff that's like incredible and is by famous writers is still not in audio. Yeah. You know, it's nuts. So, mm -hmm. so not only new cutting edge, weird indie stuff, but also like important older stuff. Yeah. From that, the canon. Yeah, yeah. From the canon that just was never recorded, yeah. you know? And basically the way the big houses work is if it's not financially viable, they're not going to try to produce it because right. the numbers don't line up. And mm. for us, we're not that smart. So <laughs> we, just, we just say, we just say, wow, this book is awesome. So we should record it. And that's yeah. kind of our secret formula. Uh, but now, you know, fast forward five years, um, things have obviously changed and we've, we've grown. And so publishers and authors reach out to us directly now. Um, but occasionally still I'll like hunt people down and mm -hmm. be like, we, we got to record your book. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it works both ways. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, do you have a particular it, – it sounds like you don't quite have a particular aesthetic because you are recording people from the canon, mm -hmm. um, but also somebody like Claire, so like you said, indie authors. But um, w have you had some experiences, like favorite experiences recording authors? I think – well, I'll let you go next, Dave. My – just a couple that pop off the top of my head. One You're going to take mine. One of, the, right. one of the earliest books <clears throat> would be Scott McClanahan. Mm -hmm. Scott That's McClanahan, The Sarah Book, which is like – I think one of the best novels to come out in decades. Yeah. And then um, it was also awesome to record Ashley Bryant Phillips' mm -hmm. Sleepovers, her book of short stories from Hub City. Um, my writing mentor, Joseph Bethany, who mm -hmm. came from... Joseph is awesome. You know him? He's been here yeah. several times. Okay, wicked. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. he was like my mentor and still a good friend of ours. He came and recorded... We actually had to stop because of COVID, but we're going to finish yeah. it soon. Um, East Liberty, his oh, book. Oh, great. Which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, next time we come, we'll have to play a clip of that. That's awesome. What about you, Dave? Um, well, I, I knew you were going to steal mine. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, as far as just being in the studio and stuff, um, I think some of, like, one of the coolest things I think we did really was uh, we recorded um, Desmond Tutu's wow. daughter, wow. who was the narrator for her, this is confusing kind of, but for her daughter's book or her okay. audio book. Okay. So yeah, yeah. So she came in and read, and that was that was really really cool. Yeah, yeah. And we actually have a clip of that. Oh yeah, we'll yeah. play a clip of that. Today. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. And you know, uh, full transparency. You know, I'm I'm out there looking for authors and reading manuscripts, and Dave is the one in the studio making the bacon. So he's like the studio master going through. He's sitting in for every recording. I'm there sometimes, um, but Dave, he has endless stories about the recording process yeah. itself. Yeah. Were there some um, foibles at the beginning that were, that were <laughs> oh notable? Oh, my God. Were there not? Uh, I think there were more, I'm more just like, foibles than there were about, successes. Thinking about how transparent we want to be. <laughs> but I, I think that like starting out with the ideology of like that a lot of people embrace, like the faking it till you make it thing, yeah. I think even like, what is it, seven years later? Is that eight years? Maybe how, se uh, seven. Eight, yeah. um, that I still have that imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all 
writers, yeah. creatives, everybody. Yeah, sometimes where I'm like, what am I doing? I don't know. Like, yeah. I, I still feel like I. But but um, but yeah, I think through a lot of like trial and error in the early days and stuff like that, there's just been a lot of things that we didn't like. We were like, how do we fix this thing? And we had no idea how to do it, so we had to like be creative and what, engin- what? engineer ways to kind of like overcome certain things. And so. It's kind of like building muscles in a weird way, kind of over time. You're like, oh, I ran into that issue years ago. I know yeah. what to do this time. So it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. One quick anecdote that sticks out that's kind of funny. I won't mention names, but we had one author who was coming from very far away <laughs> to record at the last minute, and she wanted to do it. And so, and at that time, we didn't have a studio, so we had to build a studio <laughs> before she got there. So it looked as though... We had a legit studio. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, great. I was like, should we bring that up? Yeah. I'm visualizing like a cardboard box with a paint oh, inside. And, like, it was Wiley kind of like, I mean, like it, was it wasn't like, too far. Like Acme, Wiley, Coyote, build yeah. a studio sort of thing. That, I mean, we've come a long way. You've got to come over to our current I'd love to. space and yeah. hang out. Um, yeah. we've, we A lot of the writers you know and are friends with and uh, have come over and yeah. read in the studio and stuff. you got to come over. That'd yeah, be fun. that would be yeah. great. Yeah, we've gone mm-hmm. through different iterations and stuff, even changing locations of the studio and yeah. stuff. And uh and yeah, now where we record, it's uh, it's it's my favorite place that we've ever we've ever used, and um, it, uh, I guess we've been doing that at this space for about four years now, three or four years. Yeah, maybe three or four. And uh, yeah, this is the one that we kind of do like more production for hire stuff, oh, yeah. um, and and things like that. But but yeah, it's been it's been really cool so far. So w- we also so touch the mic. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we uh, you know, we record a lot of stuff literary stuff that we love for the nonprofit for publishers and then we also do to you know keep the wheels turning um we record you know audiobooks for all sorts of genres and mediums and and publishers and and local authors and things like that yeah. so it can get pretty eclectic in yeah. terms of what's going on yeah that's great oh yeah. randomly uh another amazing uh memory from the old days in the original studio there was a bunch but nicole brown fanny Sims, mm-hmm. that was oh, yeah. a, that was an amazing production you know nicole oh yes yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah yeah that was really i think cool. we met you because of nicole uh, you may have I think so. you may yeah. have yeah she's yeah. been on the studio in, in the studio several yeah. times yeah. yes yeah it's 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 always interesting getting to meet people for the very first yeah. time and um they always have like a little bit of like a, a like a, a look in their eyes. It's like a look of fear a little bit if they haven't done it before. Yeah. And and it's nice to kind of like record like even Nicole when she came in, she was a little bit like, you know, I don't know what to do. Help, you know, and mm-hmm. help, she wanted obviously guidance and everything like that. But it's so beautiful kind of like after a week of recording to see those guards kind of come down yes. and be more relaxed and stuff like that and come out of it just like having like a really good experience and stuff and mm-hmm. being able to get to the point where we're just like joking around and stuff yeah. like that. So it's always, re- I get to see that transformation every single time I record somebody pretty much. So it's always cool to see that. Evolution. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, authors who've published several books appear here for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm usually often on the other side of the desk and I can see their paper shaking as they're reading. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. And these are really yeah, established yeah. authors who read a great deal. And then by the second, um, in the second half of the show, they're relaxed and mm-hmm. joking, and all of that has melted away, even within the space of an hour. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's just it's that initial. Ooh, here's a headphone. Here's a mic. Yeah. Totally. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. If, I feel like it's like me and Chris doing the company stuff. We do. We do have to wear a lot of different hats, and like I said, it's been a thing of where we've had to 
find creative solutions to things that we, you know, we like have job titles, but we also have to do other things too when problems come up. And so one of the weird roles I feel that I've like found kind of myself playing is like a little bit of like a, I don't want to say therapist, but yeah. like <laughs> when somebody comes in, I know they have a lot of nerves, so I have to try to calm them. Yeah. And it's this weird kind of thing I wouldn't have expected like that to be part of my kind of role. Right. But it's it's nice. It's like, it's it's kind of nice. That's like another built skill building thing over the years. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting with someone like Nicole when she's reading it's in that book particular because it's her grandmother. Yeah. Um, and sort of that um, uh, when she reads that book, because I've performed with her when she read that book and I read something else, at, like The Mothlight, and um, she'll slip into that Southern accent. Mm-hmm. You know, she already has a bit of an accent. I mean, she's a Southern. But when she reads her grandmother's work, it just it embodies it so much more than if you had – you know, reading it on the page yourself, you know, so that's the perfect example of someone who I would imagine would really come to life in talking book, you know, reading that type of work. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that, uh, talking about Nicole or Scott or other authors, you know, I think audiobooks, there was this kind of inclination to think of audiobooks in the old days, or at least when I was young as like an easy way out or, uh, I don't want to read. So I'm going to listen to the audiobook. you know, it had, it had that kind of connotation, but, um, once you record these authors, you know, I'm reading the novel like the Sarah book or any of these books, Sleepovers. Um, I'm reading the book and then I'm listening to them narrate the book yeah, afterwards, right? Yeah. And, you know, 98% of the time, the experience of this author reading the work to yes. you blows the novel, uh, the paper print it, it out really of does. the water, yes. you know? Yeah. And I think that's like a... Um, you know, we work with a lot of productions that are pro-narrated as well, and, yeah. and the narrators are incredible, but there is something magical about that author being like sitting, basically being in the room with you, yes. you know, reading yeah. the story. So, And it's interesting as well, you know, um, of course, you have your internal narrative voice when you're reading something, and then um, when you hear an audio book, you'll think, oh, I didn't pronounce that correctly, mm-hmm. you know, and then your entire image of that character almost changes because you're not pronouncing it with mm-hmm. the accent that they are. And well, um, yeah. Yeah. So. I was going to say, l- luckily, we uh, we have there's a perfect opportunity to give a shout out to our uh, proofer. Oh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah yeah. Littlemore. Yeah. yeah. Our yeah. QC editor. Who's, and, uh, and she she doesn't let stuff like that slide. That's so, great. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's other pieces. She of the, catches them. Yeah. She, yeah. She, there's other pieces of the production puzzle in the, the proofer or the QC editor, Sarah. Um, we've had multiple in the past, but she, uh, Sarah, if you're listening, we would be dead without you. <laughs> dead in the water. Dead in the water. <laughs> So is she reading like a, so I know what I do a lot of editing and mm-hmm. that clearly I have my red pen out mm-hmm. when I'm editing. How does a proofer work in an audiobook? I I'm not familiar with that title for audiobooks. Um you know basically what you would imagine Dave's recording um you know with the author or the narrator usually the author in the studio um every evening is usually how it works and then those dailies um are sent off to the proofer who has the manuscript. And she needs to listen for, you know, not only things that are mispronounced, possible sentences that were missed, words that were missed, plosives, um, you know, just strange sounds. Maybe somebody's stomach grumbling. What am I? What am I missing? I'm sure I'm missing. Uh, oh, I mean, lawnmowers. Every just, yeah, yeah, every I mean, single thing that you could never possibly know. happen. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, there'll be Dave missed something like there's a sentence mm-hmm. twice in a row for yeah. some reason. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's just basically someone that's making sure. They're fixing all of our mistakes. I never miss anything. Yeah. Dave's never it's made not a true. I've never, never made a mistake. He's never actually made a mistake in, in any it's facet of his life, true. which is cool. <laughs> which is excellent for an artist. Yes, really unusual. Absolutely. Really. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, I think we're going to take a musical break, and uh, we'll come right back with more Talking Book. You are listening to 103.3 Asheville FM, WSFM, and it is Sunday and Wordplay Radio. And today we are celebrating Talking Book, and we have Chris and Dave from Talking Book in the studio with us. And um, we were just about to have a conversation about... Sam, you said? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, was, I, was, uh, I was just talking to you during the music that um, if we're going to have a, a beer after this, I, I definitely have to. Sam, if you're listening, you, you're going to come join us for a drink. I've got your drink because Sam, he, he helped us build the website. Okay. He's like our tech guy. We call him our science officer. <laughs> but um, when you had us coming on, we wanted to play some readings from the audiobooks, but we don't have a CD burner or a way to put stuff on CD and 103.0 FM kicks it old school, right? Yeah, and you we need, do. You need, you need <laughs> CDs. Yeah. There's so certain that, things. It's FCC regulations as well. If we try oh, to pull okay. something off the internet, you get, sure. so there's ways oh, that we, you know, there's, I see, there's, I see. there's things sense. we need, you know, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, long story short, he basically worked all day to create the CD. He had to like get his old vintage computer oh, out of the attic wow. and go get He had to find CDs. like his AOL username oh, and no, He had to down, <laughs> download like Napster. Exactly, the old password. Yeah. He's looking through like sheets of paper. Yes, you know? he went through 5,000 lines of code. Uh, he's basically a hacker. But anyway, Sam, thank you for making the CD. Mm-hmm. Come have a drink with us. Yeah, after. yeah, we'd love to buy you a drink. Um, and, and, and we're just about to hear something. Um, this is Claire. I believe we were talking about Claire. Tell us a bit about your relationship with Claire. Um, Claire is an author that, so I don't know, if did you come to this, Lockie? We had one time a a reading party, a house party at our old house on Fulton Street. I didn't go to that. You didn't one. go to that no. one. This Nicole is like Red, Red, Red. yeah, Nicole oh, yeah. Nicole Brown read. I remember Bryan seeing Phillips. that. Yeah. Yep. Ashley Brian Phillips, and we didn't even know who she was back mm-hmm. then. But <laughs> Bud Smith was like the headliner, and Michael Bible. Yeah. And there was probably someone else who read. I'm, I'm probably forgetting somebody, but um, there were a few people that I think we hadn't met before. Okay, but anyway, it was like a house party reading party at their old talking book. Yeah. And uh, and. Anyway, uh, we met Claire there. I didn't know who she was. She had just moved to Asheville. But eventually, you know, we ran into each other a few times and I read her work and she's come on the podcast a few times. And then, like I said earlier, she read for us at um, uh, some of her work at that uh, story parlor. Story parlor. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. So she's just someone awesome who is an incredible writer that, you know, records stuff for the talking book sometimes. Great. Yeah. Well, let's hear some Claire. I'm Claire Hopple, and this is A Catalog of Leavings. It's in my latest short story collection, Tired People Seeing America, and was originally published in Heavy Feather Review. The situation really started to seem desperate after the death of a fake plant. Its fabric elephant ears were found shorn straight down the middle, fuzzy with the cross-hatching of thread at the break. We knew maintaining a real one would be too much for either one of us, so this had seemed like a safe route at the time. But things had already gone awry before discovering the plant. Squirrels were gnawing into our house, but we hadn't done anything about it. Maybe because it was the perfect physical representation of our neuroses. They leapt from limbs and tightrope walked across power lines to reach their ultimate destination, our roof and from there devoted themselves to utterly desiccating our eaves and unsealed corners. You could say we were too tired. 
My brother worked at the hospital but refused to talk about what he really did there. When asked about work, he told a stock story each time about having to select the music for a brain surgery, about getting it just right to elicit the best performance from the surgeon. That was all anyone could get. I worked at the front desk of a hotel so that I could study when things were slow and said things like, accommodations have been arranged, too often into the holes of a plastic receiver. The hotel was near the old church-turned-bar, beside the old warehouse refurbished into a hive of expensive condos. As far as I knew, the hotel hadn't been any other kind of building before its current purpose. Really, I should have never agreed to live with my own brother. I just didn't know of a better option. Reese suggested the idea one night while languishing on his waterbed, and my mouth had automatically agreed. Even the best suggestions become submerged when the suggester resides on a waterbed. I didn't want to ask what painted van he had excavated the relic from. Couldn't work up the stomach. This is the same brother, after all, who lurked down streets to spit into sewers so that his DNA could travel through the systems and rivers until it reached the Atlantic Ocean, so that he could be everywhere. I guess the thought of only being present in one physical location at a time filled him with a sort of scientific disappointment, like grasping the strict school marmy principles of gravity. He also left clumps of hair in people's rugs, behind couches. I caught him extracting a single leg hair and tucking it into the seam of a floorboard on a home tour once. He cataloged each one of his leavings to keep track of all the places he could find himself if he needed to. So I could say that I was concerned about his mental state and moved in to take care of him, but that wouldn't be entirely honest. This was a few years after my wife had vanished. It shouldn't have been a total shock, but it was. I caught myself saying things like, she would have laughed at that mug to myself when she was still around, and I knew... We found the squirrel's attempted point of entry and shrugged at it. This violation still seemed appropriate to us. The work in progress was at least tucked away at the roof line. They were showing some discretion. Unlike their shockingly white stomachs and their haughty poses struck upon hearing unexpected sounds. Our neighbor, Napoleon Bonaparte Stevenson, offered to shoot them. We thanked him for the offer but declined. Close-range rifle shooting would not be the main topic of controversy at the next neighborhood meeting, at least not because of us. I couldn't just call this neighbor by one name. I had to use all of his names. So I usually just addressed him in a nod or a hey and used the full three names when talking about him rather than to him. From my room's window, I could see directly into his living room. He had this crocheted yarn picture of the historic town carousel hung on the wall in such a way that I basically couldn't avoid looking at it. I'd read books and imagine the scenes occurring in the pictures beside the carousel, even if it didn't make sense. Especially if it didn't make sense. To commemorate our first home together, my wife and I carved into the sycamore beside it, accomplishing both kinds of sappy. Returning to the house a couple of years later didn't have the hit of nostalgia I was looking for. Our carvings were barely morphed by the tree's growth, still recognizable as letters, revealing a short history. People say your truth or my truth, but it seems less like there are multiple truths and more like there are multiple realities. 
They can't contradict each other because they don't occur at the same time, but replace one another, shifting into focus only when the previous reality abruptly dissolves. The reality of her hadn't shifted enough yet. She was one of those women who didn't like other women, and I didn't know what to make of it. But searching for issues was easy to do when forced. Throwing rocks at the squirrels only made them burrow deeper into their new home inside our home. They made noises that sounded too much like laughter. To avoid them, I had accidentally taken up roaming. My legs alternated and my feet strained back and forth and my body walked itself away. I found myself near an elementary school. One of the moms was parked with her window down. Her eyes shifted toward me simply because I was a movement in her peripherals. She said, I love you, as we locked eyes, presumably in the midst of a hands-free call. Then I passed a street newspaper dispenser filled with chewed gum, brimming with small pink and green brains. Reese's work was verging on poetic. Power lines hummed straight above the train tracks in their steely extremes of silence and noise, parallel to the stretch of pavement with the right mixture of asphalt to absorb sound, swallowing my steps as they traced yet another linear path. I wasn't going to let things happen to me like that. I turned, broke through the high weeds on the other side of the road, collapsing onto the cracked surface of an abandoned parking lot. My shoulder took the brunt of the landing. I was probably bleeding and definitely relieved. Programming support is brought to you by Static Age Records. Static Age buys and sells vinyl records and cassettes. They host live music in the back room. They serve beer, wine, and sake. Located at 110 North Lexington Avenue and downtown Asheville, Static Age is open seven days a week from noon till 7 p.m. Their email is staticage.nc at gmail.com. And you are listening to Wordplay Radio 103.3, and we were just hearing a recording of Claire Hopple and, um, by Talking Books, and we have Dave and um, Chris here from Talking Books, and they're going to talk a little bit more about podcast. Um, yeah, that, that was Claire Hopple on the podcast, the Talking Book Podcast. So not only do we um, record audiobooks for authors and publishers, but you know when, uh, when we have a good reading, usually once a month is pretty typical, sometimes more, but uh, we release excerpts from authors' new works. And basically I'll just you know introduce the author, talk about the book, and then we'll have a reading. Just short and sweet, super simple. But yeah, that was Claire. Uh, she's been on a few times. So mm. yeah, if you, want to, um, if you want to be on the Talking Book Podcast, hit us up and uh, we'll feature your new book. And how would somebody get in touch with you to do so? Well, that's, I'm glad you asked that, Lockie. <laughs> they, they could go to thetalkingbook.org. That's thetalkingbook.org. Um, reach out there, or you can email me directly at Chris. I'm Chris with a K, so K-R-I-S at talkingbook.pub as in pub. A long time ago when we got that email domain, we thought we were really cool, and, it, and pub was going to blow up. But to yeah. this day, we're the only dot pub. 
But, I, yeah, yeah. That's a, I still get a mark people, of distinction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> people, when I give them my email address, they're like, are you sure that's what it is? Right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. P-U-B. Yeah. I always have to stress it. It's P-U-B. And then the website's O-R-G. So we don't have any dot coms yeah. in our entire model. Yeah, but, that would be basic. Yeah. Yeah, be, that's too basic. That'd be too yeah. easy. It would yeah. be too smart. It would be way too smart. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Talking Book Podcast is um, one of our cool side projects that we do. And we first, the very first episode, because I mentioned him, was actually when we recorded the Sarah book uh, back in 2016. Was that right? Yeah, it sounds We were like, right. Scott yeah. McClanahan's here. We might as well record a conversation and have him read something because mm-hmm. um, he stayed with us for a week. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we just had a conversation with him. And then um, we have music on that podcast from some cool musicians um, you just heard um, from... Uh, Holler Boys, which mm-hmm. is Chris Oxley and Scott McClanahan. Mm-hmm. And then there's also music on there from Keegan Grimbois and Alex Sturgis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in every episode, they kind of, you know, plays plays through. But yeah. yeah, we've had a lot of local and authors abroad on the podcast. It's cool. And how are you choosing to pair your music with the words? I always find that an interesting choice. Well, really the way it works is that we, we have these kind of like three pieces of of now to us legendary music that is has just become the brand of the podcast that is on every episode so mm-hmm. that guitar part oh, that you just heard every oh great yeah that, it's almost like our theme music yeah kinda. yeah yeah, Wonderful. yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Oh, that's great. So it's short and sweet. Clear the copyrights. Yeah, yeah. Clear the copyrights. (laughs) But but it's short and sweet. It's just one of the fun side things we do. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, a a lot of people in town will put on readings. And we've we've done readings. We actually did. That reminded me. We put on a a pretty wild reading um, at Static Age years ago. Oh, yeah. With Sam Pink, remember? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, we put on readings in town occasionally. But I think for me... um, because a lot of people put on readings and yeah. because the talking book is about recording audio and, and playing it to audiobook format or in a podcast, to me, I think it's cool to like more, more or less keep it in, in a format where people can listen all over the world as opposed to, you know, just doing readings. Because yeah. a lot of people put on great readings. So right. we, we kind of mm-hmm. stick to the studio stuff. Yeah. And um, what is the model we talked about if somebody wants to be on the podcast, but if somebody wants to consume things from talking book, how do they go about Finding it, buying oh, yeah, it. That's, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, so our audiobooks are everywhere. Audiobooks are sold, um, m- mostly Audible, you know, iTunes, um, Spotify. Spotify, well, Spotify yeah. the, the podcast is on Spotify, and audiobooks are starting to starting be Starting to be, yeah. yeah. They're trying to yeah take over the world and stuff, so they're, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're on there now. Well, too. But we give authors and publishers, you know, we try to record something really beautiful for them and intimate for them, but in terms of the way they want to distribute... In the terms, the way they want to the book to be heard, you know, we give them full control. Mm, so okay. a lot of um, that's something we feel strongly about is um, really leaving everything, whether it's the casting of the narrator wanting to record themselves or, mm. you know, being creative with the production or the way the book is distributed. Some people don't want it on Amazon. Some people just want it on Libro FM or yeah, a small thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, every book that we release is um, can be different, you know, or help help authors release can be different. But Audible, Libro FM, Google Play, iTunes, Amazon, um, most of them are everywhere. And some of them are just on the big ones. So it just depends. But yeah. um, you can go to the talkingbook.org and find the podcast and all of our books and links to them. And uh, our podcast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Great. stuff like that. Yeah. And um, do you have a wish list of authors that you would, or books that you would love to record that you haven't had the opportunity to? Anyone in the canon um, or new or? Off the top of my head, 
I have gone back and forth with a certain publisher about my favorite author that ever lived and died epically, uh, Yukio Mishima, the Japanese author. Yeah. A lot of his books are not in audio, mm. but uh, it's hard to secure those rights. Yeah. Some of them are with Japanese houses, and the translations are with other other right. houses. That's so translations, a, a nuanced layer of complexity. Yeah. So yeah. The, the copyright can be tricky with translations and yeah. stuff. Um, and we were like about to, I think it was Lawrence Ferlinghetti, we were going to record one of his things once, and then like before he passed, if it's Ferlinghetti, I'm thinking, I can't remember, but he like found out we were going to record something and like put a stop to it because he had this like my work will never be recorded mm-hmm. thing, wow, like in his will or something or I don't know, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, I think if I had to pick probably Yukio Mishima in terms of the canon, um, new authors, there's millions that I find every day. I wanted to do that book about the replacements back in the, a few years back. Oh yeah, the replacements. Yeah, yeah. Weren't we? Didn't we like bid on that? We bid. Yeah. yeah. We, that was when we were doing more traditional, like yeah. bidding for rights back in the day, um, with what little money we had. So yeah. we, we would get outbid every time. Someone's like, uh, "Would you like?" You know, we get. I get um, approached by publishing houses like Pingham Random House or whatever, and they're like pushing these new audio rights and these new books, and we're like, "Yeah, we'd love to bid on that. We've got." Five hundred dollars. Mm. She's like, "Well, the bit, the auction right now is at twelve thousand. And I'm like, "Okay, let I'm me like, just, I'll throw in a cheese. Yeah, let me just sell one of my children, and then uh, we'll buy you a beer, a yeah. local craft beer, right. yeah, actual yeah. craft beer. Yeah. It's worth a lot. It's yeah. worth a lot. Yeah. So we don't do a lot of bidding. That's not really our game. Mostly, what we yeah. try to do is be like, this isn't recorded yet. We'd love to record it for you. You know, you can even even keep like, you know, the royalties. We just want to record it or we'll split the royalties. We, we, we do everything kind of in like a very like, you know, adapting ninja-esque, yeah. just please let us do it kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing we really like is the repeat, I don't say, say customers, but repeat friends because yeah, that's kind of what they become. Yeah. At. Um, so that's always nice. And I guess if somebody writes a book and we don't get to do it, that kind of sucks. Oh, like, yeah, you know, yeah. because of like technical reasons or something well, like, like that. Well, like, for example, like, you know. That we've already worked with them. We yeah. recorded Bud Smith's. Yeah, one of yeah. His that's original what books. I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, but then, you know, he's one of the most beautiful humans on the planet, and I love him, and he's one of my mentors now. And uh, his book, Teenager, which was huge, and a really big book. And so one of the big houses did it, you know, great for him. But that, yeah. that means they're going to make the audio of as course. well. You know, yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, a, you know, it's bittersweet, but that just means our friends are being successful. So yeah. that's good. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's always yeah. nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's good. Yeah. and yeah. But at the same time, if they are going with somebody large, they'll have the whole package. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They yeah. get the yeah. whole package. And, you know, those things are out of those people's hands. You know, those, those audio rights with the big houses are all wrapped in yeah. without going too far into the contract. So, you know, they're all yeah. wrapped in with everything. Of so. course. Yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any new projects that you're working on or direction you want to take the Yeah, about? well, I was going to I was going to mention while we're here that um we recently teamed up with uh Jessica Jacobs who was just on the show and her nonprofit Yetzera, the Jewish nonprofit supporting Jewish poets um and the Jewish Braille Institute. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of uh teaming up with both of them to try to produce um audiobooks that the Jewish Braille Institute, you know, has only so much ability to record their books for their community. Mm-hmm. So they were kind of looking for somebody like us that could help them, you know, with the runoff, so to speak, with titles they just weren't able to produce. So we're doing our first books for them, uh, Legacy of Blood by, um, I'm probably going to mispronounce this name, Alyssa Bimparad, um, and then also 
the seventh heaven uh, travels through Jewish Latin America. So just, you know, our first books with them, which is a cool, that's on the nonprofit side. Yeah. We have a nonprofit side as well. Yeah. Um, and then who's in the studio? We have a, a cool author in the studio right now that just finished Pavini More. Mm-hmm. How to, yeah. How to yeah. We, power. yeah, we, we took about five days to record their book recently. So yeah, that was cool. Yeah. And she's local. She's Mon- uh, Monford. Oh I yeah, believe. that's right. Yeah, that's right. Or, yeah. yeah. Uh, Pavini's local. Yeah. Um, Next time we come, maybe we'll play an excerpt from that book. That would be awesome. Well, let's take a quick musical break, and we'll be right back with more conversations from Talking Book. Sounds good. Awesome. Welcome back to 103.3. We have Talking Book here with us. And um, tell us a bit about who we're going to listen to next. We have another one of your authors. Um, Yeah, so the next one we're going to hear is Ashley Bryant Phillips. And I think we're coming up on the anniversary, actually, of, of the recording of that book. So this is appropriate. That book is from um, Hub City Press in Spartanburg, South Carolina, who are awesome. And uh, Ashley Bryan Phillips is definitely a um, g- good friend of ours now. And uh, she uh, she actually edited one of my recent stories that was published in Joyland. And uh, this this book, Sleepovers, is just one of my favorite collections that have come out in years. So if anybody out there has not read it uh, you should listen to it, Ashley reading it. Um, but yeah, Ashley Brian Phillips. Excellent. Sister. Sister's got mono. She's real sick. She's five and I'm seven. And Aunt Nell's taking her down into her house to stay. She says she's on quarantine. So sister's down there staying in that bedroom our great-grandmama died in. She died before we were born. She was real sick, too. She had sores all over her body, and they oozed with blood and green pus. That's what Aunt Nell told me. I ain't been in that bedroom much, but I think great-grandmama's ghost is down there because it seems to me that's where a ghost like her would want to live. And now that's where sister is, sleeping in her bed. But Aunt Nell says... There's no such thing as a ghost, only angels. When we go in to see Sister in that bedroom, we have to be real quiet and everything's dark. Aunt Nell's covered the windows with paper and tape and blinds and curtains because Sister cries when the light comes in. We whisper in there one at a time, and the fan moves like it's hardly working. Sister looks like a baby. Swallowed in pillows. And the ends of the old bedposts look like pineapples. And I'm sitting in Mama's lap. And she points at the fireplace and tells me when she was little, she saw Aunt Nell beat bats out of it with a broom. There's an old painting on the wall of a castle by the sea. The waves are high. And there ain't any trees or birds singing. It's chipping in the corner. If I get too close to sister, I might get mono too. But I lean up on the bed and ask her if she's afraid in here, and she says no. I ask her if she's seen an old lady ghost, and she says no. I ask her if she likes the castle painting by her bed, and she says no. She says her head hurts. Aunt Nell says it's a migraine. I was still a baby when sister was born, so I don't remember it. 
Her birthday is May 13th. I miss her kicking me in the bed at night. I don't like leaving sister in that room. I bring her in June bug shells. She won't hold them because she's a little scared, but she tells me to hang them on the lamp in the corner. It's the only light she likes to have on in the room. I take my time and hang them all real careful in a neat row, and sister squints and sees them. She says they're her jewels, and it is so pretty, and I want to feel the lampshade full of June bugs for sister. Her birthstone is an emerald. Mine is peridot. I dream that great-grandmama sits on the end of sister's bed when she's sleeping. And in my dream, great-grandmama's skin is clear with no sores or blood or pus. It glows like a nightlight. Mama sleeps with me at night because I'm too afraid to sleep by myself. I don't want to wake up with someone sitting on the end of my bed. Mama says sister will get better soon and come home, but she can't tell me when. Aunt Nell tells me not to bring sister any more June bugs. I tell Aunt Nell to leave me alone. She's my sister, and I want to see her by myself. I have to get up on my tiptoes, but I have good balance, and I get the castle off the wall real easy. I put it in sister's lap and crawl up in bed with her, and we pick at the painting. We start at the ocean and then the cliff, and when we get to the castle, sister falls asleep. I get out of bed, and it's a big mess. Dark flecks are all over sister in the sheets. Then I go to the end of the bed and ask Jesus to let sister come home. When I open my eyes and look up, I see that the ends of the bedpost ain't pineapples. They're really just magnolia blossoms before they bloom. I ask Aunt Nell where I was when sister was born. And she says I was there, but that I was too little when it happened for me to remember. Aunt Nell says sister's going to grow up and have her own babies and have a good life. And I want to know how she knows. And that's when Aunt Nell tells me about the night we buried sister's afterbirth. The afterbirth is the last part of us that comes out of our mamas and we have to bury ours out by the swamp field. Aunt Nell said we buried hers right next to mine, right out back of her house. I leave then, run out the back door and try to remember. I run to the swamp path. The birds fly up around me. I stop to catch my breath. I close my eyes and hear the summertime bugs in the grasses. I think real hard back to when I was a baby. So hard I start to feel how the rocks turned warm in my hands that night. The dirt smelled wet, and I could see the moon in the bottom of that hole shining on that afterbirth of sister. I wanted to help, 
put the rocks down in the hole easy. I didn't want to break that moon. Wow, really wonderful stuff. And um, again, tell us who we were listening to. That was Ashley Brian Phillips reading from Sleepovers that came out from Hub City Press. And it's actually about to be the two-year anniversary of that, um, that recording, July 12th, 2021. We did that book, so this is appropriate, I'm realizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And right now you're also listening to Talking Book. And we have Dave and Chris in the studio with us. And um, the hour has flown by. Jeez, it's gone fast. I know, it really has. And what a treat to be able to hear some of these authors and some of these recordings. Um, Tell us a little bit about, um, we've got a couple minutes left, any projects or initiatives or things you'd like people to know about Talking Book? Um, The only thing I'll say is if you want to, um, if you're a publisher or an author or you'd like to get your book recorded, you can reach out, go to the talkingbook.org um, you can email me at chris at talkingbook.pub. Um, and yeah, you know, we record books with publishers and indie authors um, of all shapes and sizes. So we're always doing that. Feel free to reach out. We also have a nonprofit, like I mentioned before, where we're teaming up with the Jewish Braille Institute in New York and Yetzirah, um, which is a local Jewish nonprofit. So we're going to start fundraising um, for that uh, coming soon. So I'll release stuff about that. Um, yeah, and if you want to, if you have a book coming out and you want it to be uh, featured, do a reading on the Talking Book podcast. You can go to the same places, hit me up, and we'll check that out. That would be awesome, uh, Dave. There was something you had brought up <laughs> earlier. Yes, Dave is a musician uh, under the moniker Ruby Weapon, and he has got a project going. But there was something. What, what, what was it? <laughs> you, were, you were looking for. I'm saying this organically. You were looking for something. What was it? <laughs> That's a great. Segment. We were we were talking off air, and 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 uh, Lockie was like, "Are you guys want to promote anything? Want to ask any questions?" And I was just going to say, <laughs> "I'm I'm looking for a synth player." If there's any synth yeah. players out there right now, um, I am looking for you. Listen, if you want, if you want your book recorded and or you play synth, I need you to contact the talkingbook.org. Yeah, shameless self promotion, yeah. but yeah. but yeah, if you're interested in stuff like synth, um, go to uh, I'm on Instagram ruby.weapon.music. There you go, and that's the end of the pitch. And the last thing I'll say that's shameless is I promised my eight year old and five year old sons Max and Woody, I'm on the radio and I'm coming to get you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love shout outs to kids. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, if life is a color palette, then music is a brush. Let Joey Brooks paint you a weekly sound portrait on Life Out of Tunes. Like a bishop who has forsaken sympathy. Chasing sister square. I was lit before I knew that you were there Like an angel who has forsaken certainty Sleeping in the square I was lit 